This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Oh 
Thank you, Cami. And in light of that message, could we just bow our heads and let's ask God to help us as we open His Word. Father, I just uh, want to pause a moment and so very cognizant of the fact that there are lost, lost people in our community. Don't let us be so calloused to where they slip through our fingers into a Christless eternity. Oh, Lord, would you wake us up at night? Would you help us to take a few steps to them to be able to impact them for Jesus? Would you anoint our time together as we open your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Today we continue our sermon series entitled, Just a Few Steps. And this series is a call to take a few steps every day for the purpose of being able to, with God's help, impact someone's eternity from hell to heaven. As I've been praying and preparing for these lessons, I'll admit that the idea of just a few steps has really bothered me a little bit. And and it seems like at the beginning of the day, it's, it, 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 it's I come before the Lord and I say, okay, God, what assignment do you have for me today? Um, God, do you want me to take some steps in somebody's direction? And I believe that our faithful God has led me to some people this week on a divine assignment. Now, today I'm excited to explore what I call living on the edge. Now, we're all wired differently, thank God. But some of you like to live on what we refer to as the edge. Um, you jump out of airplanes. By the way, how many of you have jumped out of an airplane? Anybody? Anybody? One back there. Two. That's it. The early service had about 10 or 15 people. And, and uh, you know, we sometimes think that they're the old people. But uh, I guess they're the people that live on the edge. But anyway, some of you like to jump out of airplanes. Some like to drive fast. We won't mention any names there. Some bungee jump. Some climb mountains. Some of you like to ski. Some of you live life in the fast lane. And, and, and that's in a good way. You refuse to settle for a safe and boring life. But for others of you, boring is beautiful. You pray for boring. You want the predictability of doing the same thing every week. You do your laundry the same day every week. You get your groceries on the same day every week. You, you pay your bills. You wash your car with unchanging regularity. And, and, and none of you do this here, but in some churches, they even sit in the same seat every Sunday. And I know, again, nobody does that here. You want to do what you've always done because you know that gets you what you've always gotten for you. That's the good life. Now, neither life in the fast lane, again, not in a bad sort of way, but nor life in the slow lane is necessarily more spiritual than the, than the other. And in the sight of God, I don't think that jumping out of an airplane is any more or less spiritual than staying at home and, and parking your carcass in the recliner. Uh, except that jumping out of an airplane, when I did it, it did help my prayer life. And it was like, you know, the first minute as you're free falling, if you've never done that, you, you need to get a life and you need to do this sometime because it's like... Lord, I can't believe I'm doing this and you can't get your breath and you're going about 30, 30 to 40 seconds and, and you reach a speed of about 125 miles an hour and you think, oh, Lord, and then you 
pull that cord and it slows down and then you finally can enjoy it. But, you know, I, I really don't think that that or being in the recliner is, is more or less spiritual. These things are just preferences that we like or we don't like. However, when it comes to serving Christ, know that we were never called to a predictable, comfortable, boring life. Serving Christ has always involved a call out of the comfortable. It's always involved a call to leave a life of safety, to enter a life of God-given adventure. And that's what I'm referring to today as living on the edge. Now, as we take a few extra steps each day to impact people for Christ, let's talk about what it means to live on the edge. Are you ready? First of all, it means that we will develop new friendships. Now, the truth is that even though we would never admit it, we as Christians tend to be very cliquish. It's almost like we develop a subculture that, that offers us extra stickers and smiley faces and prizes if we will stay away from bad people in the community. Which, incidentally, is behavior that someone described as cocooning. You know, we stay inside our little protective fortress. But living on the edge for Jesus Christ means that we will venture out of the cocoon and, and, and we will venture out of the fortress and develop some new friendships. And no, it doesn't mean that we will ditch our current friends. It just means that we won't be content with an us for no more mentality. It means that no longer will our life group and, and no longer will our Sunday school class and, and no longer will our encounter brothers or sisters be the ones that we exclu exclusively hang out with. Now, now, let me try to walk us through the, the typical progression of Christians. And, and I want to do it with a concept that we learned in algebra. I, I, I used to love math and algebra. And, and there's a concept called the principle of direct and indirect variation. And, and in fact, Tuesday, I went back and reviewed it because I wanted to make sure I had it right. But, but anyway, for illustration purposes, let's say that you're trying to evaluate a young man's height and weight, and we'll just call him Jake. Now, let's say that Last year, Jake went through his major growth spurt. There, there's a time when kids, it seems like they grow an inch a day. And you buy them a pair of pants, by next week, high waters. Just too short. And, and we'll say that last year, uh, Jake skyrocketed in his height by 10%. Now, if Jake's height and weight are in direct variation, then as his height goes up, his weight will also go up proportionally. So if, if Jake grew 10% taller last year, then his weight would also have increased by 10%. That is direct variation. One goes up, the other goes up accordingly. Now, indirect variation is different in the sense that Jake's height and weight would not go up in proportion. In fact, they would go in opposite directions. So if Jake's height increased by 10%, indirect variation would mean that his weight would decrease by the same proportion. Now, obviously, normally it's the other way around. As we get older, we become more stooped and uh, our height goes down, our weight goes up. But honestly, that's really uncomfortable to talk about. And so we'll just say that Jake's height increased 10%, but his weight went down by 10%. That's indirect variation. And, and for the growth of a young person, generally that's an indication that something is wrong. Now, let's take this same concept of direct and indirect variation and apply it to the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. 
and we'll call this person Jane, no offense to the two or three Janes that we have in our church. One day Jane is invited to church by a friend. And over the next few weeks and months, God begins to speak to her heart and, and convicts her. And, and one day she yields her heart to God. She's dramatically transformed and begins a new walk with God. Jane begins to thrive in her faith. And, but, but not only does Jane begin to thrive in her relationship with God, but now she finds herself with a newfound love for her friends and family that don't know Christ. And, and Jane, without even training or being told by her pastor, she just naturally begins to try to lead her friends to God. She, she's not pushy. She's not in your face. She's not a Bible thumper, but she has a passion for them to experience what she has experienced. So she just naturally shows them the love of Christ. And by the way, that's what should happen. As Jane grows in her walk with God, she should also experience a corresponding increase in her love for people outside of Christ. Well, over the next few weeks and months, Jane is blessed to see some of her friends and family come to church, and some of them even come to know Christ. She is so pumped. She's ecstatic. Now, the natural thing for Jane and for her friends and family that have recently come to Christ is to start hanging together with greater frequency. I mean, they've got so much in common. They're excited. They've been delivered from a life of sin. And then they get to know other Christians in the church. Hey, the natural thing is hang with them as well. And this is good. But something then begins to take place that's not so good. After a few months or maybe even a few years, Jane's life becomes more and more consumed by her friends who love Jesus, which is good. I mean, church activities, and these are good activity, activities, such as small groups and, and Sunday school and, and encounter groups. They begin to completely dominate her life. And without Jane realizing, a switch has taken place. And now when Jane gets together with friends, they're always church-going friends. And she rarely, if ever, hangs out with some of her other friends that don't go to church. You say, well, that's good, because that way Jane no longer is with the rough crowd. She doesn't have to hear all of the swearing and stuff that goes on. And, and, and you're right, that, that is a good thing. In fact, along that line... Let me give you a scenario and see how you react. Let's pretend that someone says, I love Jesus so much. So here's what I'll do. I'll set my alarm to Christian music and start the day off right. And then throughout the day, I'll text my brothers or sisters words of encouragement and scripture so I can stay pumped with Christian thoughts. And then at lunchtime, I'll sit by myself and just read my Bible. So I don't have to hear the foul language that's used in the break room. And then I will fill my evenings with family and church activities. And if I watch television at all, it's only Christian shows. And I'll go to bed listening to Christian music. And then wake up tomorrow and do the same thing over and over again. My life will be simple and safe, spotless and uncluttered, protected and predictable. Now, how does that hit you? Well, initially, you think, 
that person has their priorities in line. But the problem is that cocooning is the polar opposite of the way that Christ functioned. And it's the polar opposite way that he told us to function. Protected, isolated, safe from the world was not Christ's way. And and frankly, this is the ugly underbelly of Christianity. And, And here's what this looks like. Jane is still walking with Christ. In fact, she's getting closer to Jesus. That's good. But the problem is that now she's getting further away from a broken world that Jesus asked us to love. This is indirect variation. And bringing it really close to me, probably to some of you as well, if someone were to ask us, well, who did you hang out with last week? Most of us would have to say, well, duh, church people. And, and again, the Bible says we need to have good Christian fellowship. But the question I raise is, if church people only spend time with church people, who's going to spend time with people outside of the church who need Jesus Christ? Let me show you a, a graph here that kind of tells the way that it happens when they say that when someone comes to know Christ just at the very beginning he has 20 of his friends and associates that don't go to church they don't know Christ but the longer they follow Christ here's what happens you know about at the year and a half or so they're down to 15 two and a half years or so down to 10 acquaintances outside of church until finally about year eight. They practically don't know, practically don't hang with anybody outside of the church. I remember a few years ago, I challenged this church to go spend time with some unchurched people. And and I remember one dear lady, and she'd been serving the Lord for decades. And and she's in heaven now, but she said, "I, I, I really don't have contact with anyone that isn't a Christian. And that's not unusual. The longer we follow Christ, the more likely we are to lose contact with the broken world that Jesus asked us to love. And you know, God forbid, but if the pastor would get radical and ask us to love people outside of our quote-unquote circle, many times a list of qualifiers would rise up within us and we would say, okay, pastor, if you want me to love people outside of my circle then they'd better be nice. In fact, we could call them the better bees. You know, they better be nice. They better be white. They better be pro-life. They better be conservative politically. They, They better be young like me, or they better be old like me, or they better be teetotalers. You know, they better be straight. But may I just ask, where did those better bees come from? Not, not from Christ. 
You know, Christ hung out with people who were not his kind. He hung out with cheating tax collectors. Imagine this, he hung out with adulterers. He hung out with people who were married and divorced multiple times. So where did we come up with our better be list in order to hang with someone? You know, some of you would remember the three parables in Luke chapter 15 and talks about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And the setting for the scripture is this. Jesus is having conversations with people who are far from what we would call good and godly. That they were people from the other side of the tracks. They, they were people who used terrible language and they drank too much. They, they slept in the wrong bed and they cheated people and the list goes on and on and on. And, and Jesus was interacting with them. And as the scene plays out, we notice that the religious leaders began to get more and more upset about this. And, and, and they were troubled in their spirits. I mean, the religious leaders hated these low-life people so much, they wanted God to send them straight to hell. And here Jesus is hanging out with them. Well, Jesus hears them grumbling about this, and, and that prompts him to tell these three stories back to back to back. And, and he starts out with a story about a hundred sheep, and they don't know what happened. must have been a dumb sheep, but that sheep just wandered off, got lost. The second story involved uh, ten coins. And I, I don't know what was going on with this, this lady. I mean, she had ten coins and she was careless and she lost a coin. And then there's the boy who, before the father was even dead, he said, Dad, I want my inheritance. And he was rebellious and, and Dad was not knowing what to do. And out of frustration, he said, Okay, son, here it is. And, of course, the son disappears into a foreign land and blows it on wine, women, and song. And... And just reading between the lines, Scripture doesn't document all of this, but I wonder if my mind, in my mind, if at that, at least one of the Pharisees who heard these three stories that day just couldn't shake Jesus' words. They just kept reverberating in his mind. And, and maybe that evening he heads to the campfire and he's sitting there and he's just reviewing the stories and he says, okay, three stories. Mm. You know what? In each of these three stories, something went missing. You know, the sheep went missing. The coin went missing. The son went missing. And I can just picture this Pharisee saying, what was Jesus really getting at? And then he maybe says, you know, could it be that Jesus was trying to say that whatever was missing really mattered to somebody? And I mean, the lost sheep really mattered to the shepherd. And I don't know if you've ever lost an animal, but I have. And, you know, there's kind of that panic city uh, wondering if the animal's okay. And, and that shepherd had lost an animal. And you know, there's that lady that had lost some money. I don't know if you've ever lost money. I have. And she evidently had lost a tenth of her estate. So the lost coin really mattered to the woman. And then the wayward son, I mean, mattered to the father. And the, the father was, was brokenhearted. And some of you can relate to this when your, your, your child has gone off, become rebellious and, and gone off into the party life. And maybe you haven't heard from that son or that daughter for a long time. And and you can relate to the grief of the father. But anyway, the Pharisee is sitting by the fire and, and perhaps pondering these stories. And all of a sudden, maybe the light comes on. And, and maybe he jumps up. He's been sitting there watching the flames. And he jumps up and he... And maybe he says, no. 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 Could it be that Jesus was saying that those immoral, lying, disgusting... 
unchurched people that he was hanging with actually mattered to God? Could it be that he was saying that the love of the Father is at such a deep level that every man, woman, child who has ever inhaled air on this planet is the object of his great affection? And could it mean that there's not a single person that ever has taken a breath that God wants to send to hell? You know, whether or not you know it, God gave his son to save every last person here on earth. He's not willing that any should perish. You see, even that bozo that's president in North Korea that's been guilty of killing many Christians, yes. Even Barack Hussein Obama, yep. Even Hillary Clinton, yep. Even Donald Trump, yep. Members of the swamp in Washington, yep. Even Joe Trussell and Chance, Kirk. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to have to get past the better bees that cause us to say, well, unless you like my style of music, unless you dress like me, Unless you're of my own social class or of my own race. Unless you go to my church or my small group or if you go to the encounter or whatever, then I'm not going to spend any significant time with you. And how many of us have pulled a Jane? We've taken our spiritual growth seriously. We've studied the Word. We've drawn closer to God, which is good. But... Little by little, we've grown farther and farther away from lost people who really need us. I feel like I could stop here and give an altar call and I'd be the first one to go uh, to the altar. May God help us. The second factor in living on the edge is that we need to listen to people. Many of us are poor listeners. You know, some of us, we hear a story, and what, what do we do, what tend to do? We think back into our memory log of a story that one-ups them. You know, we tell about our family, our nieces, nephews, grandkids, and it's like we love the sound of our own voice. And, and if we do happen to let them talk, we're not listening, really. We're so quick to judge and label them as meth heads and drunkards and losers and worldly and immature jerks. And, and we never really take time to get to know them. You know, I found that sometimes we, uh, we make such a quick judgment call on somebody. And you, you've heard this before that the saying is that hurt people hurt people. Or in other words, those that are hurting Sometimes they say hurtful things to us. And, and sometimes right there we shut them out of our lives because we don't like what they said. But if we would take time to listen to them and get to know them, we might actually understand. And I really think the preachers sometimes are the very worst at this. I was in Kansas City not too awful long ago for some meetings and several of us as pastors went out to eat. And almost immediately one pastor said something uh, it was a judgmental statement to, to one of the wait staff. And I, I just cringed. I thought, oh, 
I wanted to hide under the table. And basically what happened when that one pastor said that he shut out any opportunity that we might have had of showing them the love of Christ. And, and here's what I found, that if I go around with a spiritual air like I've got it all together, like I'm disgusted by those terrible people, and you know what happens is um, people will shut me out, and there will never be an opportunity to be a friend. Now, let me warn you, you think it's been uncomfortable, just get ready, fasten your seatbelt. Being a friend may require you to get your hands dirty. And again, this is going to make some of us squirm. Being a friend means that we may have to shake hands with someone that just coughed into their hands. Or just pick their nose. And I know that's gross. And there's a push in our society today to a sterile approach. You know, there's a move in the church world, and I've told you before, I've gotten on the flap of the bulletin before, where it says, don't have us shake hands during the meet and greet. And I know there's that move, and I, I'm not saying that we should throw all caution to the wind. We, we should be careful. There are some tough bugs out there, but, you know, it's so difficult to impact a world when, when you uh, take a don't-touch-me attitude or when... Or if you do happen to touch me, get me the hand sanitizer and get it fast. You know, some time ago, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you this story because I was so wrong, but I had someone come into my office that had quite an odor, and that's just a nice way to say they stunk. And, and it was somebody in this service today. No, not really. I'm just kidding. Uh, they actually weren't even in this community, okay? They were transits passing through. But I found myself thinking... Uh, hey, I need to take this guy to the car wash. Use the pre-soak setting and then use the green, you know, push the button for that green slimy soap that dissolves oil on engines and, and then spray him down with a high-pressure soap mode and then rinse him off and probably he needed a wax job as well. And, and I was disgusted and, 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 and I wanted to just get him out of my office. After all, he wasn't from this community. And I mean, it was so bad that after he left, I had to spray the office area to get some relief. But while he was there, the Lord began to convict, him, convict me of my awful attitude. <laughs> and I grudgingly asked the man to be seated, and I began to talk to him about the Lord, and I asked him if he had ever received Christ as his Savior. And No, I didn't have the privilege of winning him to the Lord, but I felt like I had done a little bit, just a tiny bit of showing him the love of Christ. And when we finished, even though he was still smelly and his hands were still dirty, his fingernails were awful, I stuck out my hand and warmly shook his hand. And, and, and I don't say that for you to be impressed because my attitude was awful and you should probably fire me over that. But I simply just opened my heart to you to remind you that when God sends us on a mission to touch someone for Christ, it isn't always neat and clean and sterile. And let me digress just a little bit further uh, off our subject. Um, I, I'm really opening my heart to you today, but I, I've been convicted in another area of selfishness, self-centeredness. I don't know if you've ever done this. Well, actually you have because I've heard you, but I don't know if you've ever met someone in church or out of church and they said, man, I've been so sick with the flu this past week. And you can tell, man, they've still got congestion and they sound awful and 
How many times has the first thing that's come out of our, our mouth been, well, don't breathe on me then. Stay away from me. Don't give it to me. Have you ever thought about how selfish that is? And, man, man I, I've said that. Instead of saying, man, stay away from me. <laughs> Don't breathe on me. Don't you think it would be more Christ-like to say, you've been sick, I'm really sorry. Is there anything I can do to help you during this time? Instead of saying, no, don't breathe on me. And again, we need to be careful. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I mean, this is coming from a man that's had hepatitis and tuberculosis and typhoid. And most every other disease in the book, maybe I should have been more careful. But I don't find Jesus saying to his 12 disciples, Hey guys, we're going to a town today and I've heard there's an outbreak of flu and, and don't shake hands there and especially don't be giving that kiss on both sides, you know, the face there that's so common, that was cultural. Don't be doing that because we can't afford to get sick. Jesus never said that. If we're going to connect with real people, we're going to have to be willing to get dirty and maybe even get sick once in a while. And I know I just made some of you really mad, and I'm sorry. Um, actually, I'm not, because if Jesus had such a deep love for us, do you realize what he left? He left a perfect world, a perfect heaven, to come to a dirty, diseased, disgusting, cruel, messed up world. Don't you think that the least he expects of us is to connect and sometimes even touch? Lost? And dirty and drug addicted and impaired people with breath that would stop a Mack truck? Don't you think he expects us to do that? Thanks for all of your amens. I appreciate your support this morning. <laughs> Lastly, living on the edge means that we will need to resist the urge to play it safe. I believe God sends us to divine forks in the road. And because God never forces us against our will, He gives us a choice. We can take the safe route, walk away, or we can take a risk and try to impact someone for Christ. He gives us that choice. But just so you know, Jesus never chose easy nor safe. He was always hanging with those who wouldn't have qualified under the better bees. You know, Faith and I have become friends with someone that doesn't live here in town. They, they do live in, in an interstate in Missouri. He's originally from another country. He's also of another religion that's not even close to Christianity. And I'll admit he's really intimidated me at times. Um, one of the reasons, one of the primary reasons, I guess, is because a few years ago he was so much against Christianity. He called us a cult and... and uh, but as we've gotten to know him, we've seen him mellow, and uh, we've worked hard to connect with him on different levels, and, and, and we've been slowly being able to uh, at least win a measure of his confidence. And, and it's interesting that even though we are so diametrically opposed, separated in, in what we believe in our faith, he wants our family to be part of his. And um, he's a... 
you know, said a businessman and actually has multiple businesses in multiple countries and he's got at least three businesses in Springfield and it's interesting that he's asked my wife Faith to run one of the businesses and that involves the medical profession and and then uh, he wanted me to resign my position here at the church and run another business that he has and and, and what blows my mind, and this is what blows my mind more than the others, is that he wanted to start some schools in his native country for underprivileged kids. And, and he knows that I'm associated with the World Missions Board, our, our denominational board. And, and so he asked, and of course we promote Christ, that's the reason we exist, but he asked if our board would be willing to run the schools if he would fund them. This is a man from another religion. And again, he hasn't come to know Christ, but his attitude is changing. And I pray that God will give us the next step so that one day he will not just be a friend from another country and from another religion, but I pray that he can become a brother in Christ. In Mark chapter 3, there's an interesting story as we try to bring things to a close. The Bible says that Jesus was preparing to teach in the temple one day and and the Pharisees got an idea. They, they were upset with Jesus because Jesus had a way of making them look bad. I mean, they were so carnal. And so they began plotting how they could catch Jesus on a Sabbath day infraction. I mean, doing something on the Sabbath day that they shouldn't do. And, and we don't have a lot of details here, so I'm just kind of, again, reading between the lines. But maybe the Pharisees went around town looking for someone to bring in there to trap Jesus with a Sabbath healing. And so they were going around looking for sick people and, and the maimed and people that had stuff wrong with them. And, and maybe they came across a man with a withered hand. And they convinced him to go to the temple and sit on the front row. Not that they cared about his disability or even his soul, but again, they were trying to trap Jesus. And maybe it didn't happen this way, but regardless of the way that it happened, a man with a withered hand ended it up at the temple. And it's almost as if the religious leaders set the trap and then they step back to watch the show. Jesus looked at these holier-than-thou people, the religious leaders stared at them a minute and then he looked at this man with a withered hand the Bible says that Jesus got irate in fact the message paraphrase says he was furious at their hard-nosed religion and again reading between the lines it's almost uh, Jesus knew the consequences healing on the Sabbath was a no-no you would not do that because that constituted, uh, that, that, that meant working, constituted working. And, but here, it's almost as if Jesus said, watch, watch this. And he called that man with the withered hand to step up and Jesus healed him. And predictably, the religious leaders went ballistic because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. If there's one thing I want to leave you with today, it's, it's this thought. You know, every human being has a loving heart towards some people. You know, every one of us. I, I believe even the person with the worst heart in America who, or in the world, whoever that is, they have a list of people that they like and love. But here's what's not so easy to admit. Every human being also has a secret list of people that they don't like 
in your mind they're withered. It might be that spouse that walked out on you. It might be someone who wounded you with their words. It might be that meth addict or that alcoholic. These people have withered hearts, withered minds, withered bodies. They're people with withered dreams and withered energy and withered hope. And you know what? You might have a good reason not to like them. But you know what? They need your love. They need our love. And I just wonder if perhaps God is asking some of us this week to take a few steps across the room, across the street, and take a risk. And be willing to bring healing to some withered people. Remember, they matter to Jesus. And so therefore, they should matter to us. Father, here in the quietness of the closing of this service, stir us as never before. Lord, some of us have been serving you for so long that we really don't have much contact with the lost world. We're disgusted by the stuff that happens. We pride ourselves because we're staying clean. We listen to good Christian music. We go to small groups. We think we don't sin in word, thought, and deed, but yet, Lord, we've lost having a heart for the lost, the last, and the least. Would you stir us this week? God, begin with me, because as someone that's been serving you for a lot of years, it seems like sometimes I just get consumed with ministering to Christians making sure they're happy and making sure that we don't offend them and Lord sometimes uh, I get caught up in the better bees and Father forgive me forgive us would you get us out of our comfort zone this week life on the edge God given adventure an adventure that would mirror the adventure that Jesus took every day. Taking a few steps here and there. Healing here, bringing words of encouragement there. God, I pray that you would not let us be content to just have an us for no more attitude. God, I pray that you would do so us to the very core. Would you just stand right now, please? I hadn't planned on doing this, but maybe you've got someone in mind that you feel God maybe is just quickening your heart and mind to go talk to. And as we wrap up this service, maybe you want to just come and represent them here at the altar. Stand or kneel, whatever you want to do. 
Would you just come right now? Just represent friends and family that need Jesus, that are lost. You want to take the next step. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to do it. But you're willing to be used. Would you just come? Father, again, as we wrap up our time, stir us as never before. Don't let us be comfortable. Lord, give us a vision beyond us for no more. Open our eyes to those that are hurting. They may have up the hard shell and we may think there's nothing they want from us, but Lord, I believe there are some people here in this community that are depending on us. And Lord, I pray that these that have come forward and maybe others that didn't have the courage to come forward, I pray that you would begin to just do a work in our hearts. Stir us, Lord, as we take the next steps this week. Walk across the street walk across the room, walk across the store, walk across the office. I just pray that we would see some people that we could present Jesus to. Lord, thank you for not leaving us by ourselves. Thank you for taking those steps. First of all, the step from a perfect heaven to an imperfect world. And then, Lord, you sent someone to us. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, take a few steps this week to help change someone's destiny from hell to heaven. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.